Good morning. Our scripture today comes from uh, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to, the, wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned I would have, it re- I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has, has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. So over the holidays, I went to a Christmas party um, from my wife's work. And the theme of the Christmas party, um, at least part of the theme, was... Ugly Christmas sweaters. So you were supposed to wear an ugly Christmas sweater. Um, Some people did it really well. Um, Others didn't participate. I didn't have what I would consider to be technically an ugly Christmas sweater. So I wore my IU sweater. It was red. And I explained to people that it had been an ugly year for IU sports, so it qualified. Um, Hopefully it'll get better. But it was true. You know, is there anything, though, that qualifies more for the category of re-gifting than ugly Christmas sweaters? You re-gift those things. You know, Aunt Matilda gave you the sweater, and you tried to act like you were surprised and happy with it. And as soon as she left the house, you're thinking, who could I give this to? Re-gifting. It actually comes with a negative connotation most of the time. And I want to suggest something. I don't mean it to be negative in the title of my sermon. Because my sermon title is regifting the grace of God. So I don't want that to be negative. As a matter of fact, think of it in this light. The words of Jesus. To whom much has been given, much is required. If you've been showered on by the grace of God... It is your responsibility to distribute the grace of God or to re-gift 
the grace of God. So I give away the entire point of the sermon right at the very beginning. It's about regifting the grace of God. But I want to acknowledge that with any biblical text, uh, those of you who've done any kind of real serious study of a text know that there's there's lots of things to be said about a text and lots of different directions you could take with any given text. And I just want to acknowledge that up front because most of the things that might come to your mind when you read this text, it's likely I won't address them. But let's be honest about what the context of this passage that was just read is. It's, of course, the words of Jesus. And the context of the words of Jesus at that particular juncture in the Gospel of Matthew, it's right down near the end of his life. Jesus is teaching and he's using parables. And the teaching in chapters 24 and 25 have been routinely referred to as the Olivet Discourses. Why? Because he was on the Mount of Olives and he was teaching his disciples. The major theme for both chapters is basically this. The kingdom of God is coming. And the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in with judgment and with calamity. There are difficult days ahead. As a matter of fact, he'd already on more than one occasion predicted his crucifixion, though the disciples didn't seem to get it. Especially we realize that when John says it near the end of his Gospels, we didn't understand what he was saying. Jesus is predicting his crucifixion. He's predicting issues related to what we call the end times. Now that becomes a little muddled, let's admit it, because the end times can mean at least two things and two things at the same time. It can be the end of the age that Jesus was talking about before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem at 70 AD. That was calamity. It can also mean the final judgment in the end. And certainly he was also talking about that. So into this context, Jesus brings certain parables. One of the parables that's in this group of parables is the parables, uh, the parable of the talents, which is referred to in your passage as gold, okay? Another parable that's in this grouping is the parable of the ten virgins. A third parable that's in this grouping is the parable about the sheep and the goats. First, let's remember the ten virgins. Remember what the parable of the ten virgins was? It was about the kingdom of God and the coming of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, when the kingdom comes, when all this is ushered in, in the last day, there are going to be some people who are not ready. If you happen to be one of the virgins who was waiting for the bridegroom in this wonderful Jewish procession for a wedding, you would have had a lamp and it would have had oil in it. And you should have had extra oil so that when the bridegroom came later than you thought, you could burn the lamp. It was part of a celebration. And Jesus said, there's some among those 10 virgins that didn't bring backup oil. (laughs) They weren't prepared. And when the bridegroom came, they woke up quickly to turn their lamp on and there was no oil in the lamp. And they were not a part of the parade, not a part of the celebration. They missed it. Be prepared, says Jesus, because the coming of the Son of Man is going to be like that. It'll catch some people off guard. They'll be unprepared. They won't be 
part of the celebration of the kingdom of God. The other parable, not the one we're talking about here right now, but the other relates to the sheep and the goats. Jesus says the kingdom of God is coming and it's going to be like this on occasion. There's going to be some people in the end who are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, you remember us, right? We're here. We're part of the kingdom. We heard it. And Jesus will say to them, oh, I see you, but I don't know you. Why don't I know you? Because there was someone who was hungry and you didn't feed him. There was someone who was thirsty and you didn't give him a drink. There was someone who was naked and you didn't clothe him. There was someone who was in prison and you didn't help him out. There was someone you could add to the list. The disenfranchised, the poor, the marginalized. And you didn't reach out to them. No, you're not a part of the kingdom. But Lord, we said all the right words. But Jesus said, you didn't live the kingdom mantra. Because what you fail to realize is that poor person, whatever his or her need, was me. When you did it to one of those, the least of those, you did it to me. You're not in, you're out. I think what's interesting about that parable um, is that it focuses on basically just one thing. Right? There's lots of things we could say about the kingdom of heaven and entrance into the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus, for some reason, wanted to say, he wanted to drill down the point that if you do not give of yourself, if you do not re-gift what I have gifted you with, you're outside the circle. And he used the poor to illustrate it. Now, into that context comes this parable. The parable that's all always, well, not always frequently called the parable of the talents. But you have to immediately do a switch. It's not a talent like I have a talent to run or throw a ball or do something like that. That's not the reference here. The talent, obviously, is to a gift of money. And you remember the story. The master comes to three of his servants and he gives them gifts of money. And he says, I want you to take care of these and use them wisely. To the one who got the most money, he doubled the amount the master gave him while the master was away. And the master said, that is amazing. That's awesome. I'm going to give you even more money to manage. To the one who got the middle amount of money, not quite so much, but a good number of pieces of gold. He too doubled his money. And the master gave him the same accolade. It's wonderful that you've done that. I'll give you responsibility over more. And of course, the one who only had one piece of gold, see it that way, one piece of gold. He took his master's gold and he buried it in the ground. And you remember what he said, master, I knew you're a, you're a hard man. You're careful about what you do. And I wanted to be careful with what you gave me. So I hid it away and here it is, just like you gave it to me. And of course the master says, wrong. You're an unfaithful servant. Why? Because you didn't multiply what I gave you. That's the lesson in a nutshell. I want you to notice something about the story. It says that each man was given according to his own ability. 
which means something like the man who was given the most gold, five pieces of gold, he had probably more ability to multiply that money to the one who was given less, less ability and less, even less ability. Everybody is given what they have the ability to handle. The other thing that's interesting about this parable is that no matter what the individual servant's abilities were, the standard was still the same. It didn't matter that the first one had more ability than the third one. The standard was take the gift and multiply it. Do something with what I've given you. Same standard across the board. Notice something else about the gift in this parable. It wasn't their money. They had no ownership of it at all. It was a handsome sum. And people try to speculate concerning how much it would have been in today's dollars and some go into the millions. The point is it was a lot of money. But it wasn't theirs. It was the master's money. But still it was a gift. Now when we look at parables, any of them or any of the teachings of Jesus, we always have to ask the question about what about us, right? The parable primarily, most commentators say, is directed to the Pharisees, those teachers of the law who had inherited the Torah and had done little more than hide it in the sand, so to speak. They'd not proclaimed the kingdom of God and invited people into it the way they were supposed to. And I understand that and I concur with that, as most every commentator does. But as with any passage, the passage is not just about the historical episode. It's also about us. That's always true of Jesus' teachings. So what about us? What does the parable call us to do? Well, first, we're called as the people of God to take the gift, this incredible treasure, which in another place Jesus calls a pearl of great price, We're to take this gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, and we're to give it away. We're not supposed to hold on to our treasure. It's the good news of Jesus Christ for the whole world. That's pretty straightforward. But when it comes to this gift that we've been given, you know that this gift that we've been given represents multiple ways in which we can re-gift it. I love what a Archbishop of Liverpool, how's that for old school, huh? Archbishop of Liverpool in the 1900s said about what was then called the talents. Nobody was using gold in their interpretation, in their, uh, in their, um, translation of the text. They were using the old word talents. And he says of talents, this is J.C. Ryle, what is a talent? A talent is anything that God gives us to glorify himself. Anything whereby we may glorify God is a talent. Our gifts, our influence, our money, our knowledge, our health, 
our strength, our time, our senses, our reason, our intellect, our memory, our affections, our privileges as members of Christ's church, our advantages as possessors of the Bible? Did he leave anything out? (laughs) You see the point? J.C. Ryle said, if you're going to see this parable the way Jesus wanted you to see it, you have to recognize that every one of you has been given something for the purpose, beyond what you've been given the kingdom, for the purpose of proclaiming the kingdom of God. How are you doing it? How are you serving the kingdom of God? I also like, but don't like, the comment by Sidlow Baxter. This, I guess I'm an Englishman today. He was an Englishman too. He said, looking at this parable, he said, you know, the parable that ends with the third servant who did nothing with the gift but hid it in the sand? Baxter says this, the lack of use is condemned, you notice, because to do no harm is praise for a stone, not praise for a man. To do nothing, to do no harm, there's no reason to praise a man for that. That's the activity of an inanimate object, like a stone. The praise that the servant wants to heap upon, the master wants to heap upon his servants is a praise, (laughs) a praise that reflects the image of God. Is there anything more reflective of the image of God than giving? God gives us everything. He gives us life as the creator of all things. He gives us breath. He gives us salvation through Jesus Christ. He gives us gifts that multiply over and over again for the benefit of his church. He gives and gives and gives. You want to reflect the image of God? Give like God does. That's one of the main messages of this parable. You have been given the grace of God. Now give it away. Investing um, in a way that multiplies the gifts you've been given is what you've been called to do. I don't know um, how it strikes you, um, but it really strikes me deeply because I'm such a selfish, self-centered person. (laughs) And when I get something, I want to keep it. And when I experience the grace of God, I want to glow in it. And my first impulse is not to figure out a way to give it away. It's just who I am. I don't think I'm any different than the rest of you. Our first impulse is to take and be thankful and keep. But the passage says that we have been given so that we can give it away. What are the ways to respond to this kind of grace in a practical way? 
There's so many parables of Jesus that touch on this very theme. Remember the one parable where Jesus says, well, it's not so much a parable, it's just part of his teachings. And he says to those who are listening, don't take a light that's been given to you and put it under a bushel and hide it. The light was for a purpose. It was to light the world. So don't do that. That's an ineffective use of a grace of God. You've been given the light. Don't hide it. Share it. So at a very basic level, we certainly can say that the grace that's been given to us in the kingdom of God, the love of God through Jesus Christ, must be shared, period. It just must be. There's no option here, folks. It doesn't make any difference how you're wired or how you're gifted. You've got to figure out a way to share it. You can't keep it. It's going to burn a hole in your soul. It was given to you to be distributed. It must be given. That's clear. Your bushel's going to burn up if you don't give it away. <laughs> the second thing we know about the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of the kingdom, comes to us in one of these parables. When we've been given the gift of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to reach out to the needy. I mean, quite specifically, those who have physical need. The gospel has always revolved around that. Sure, it's the grace of salvation from the soul, but that's not the end of it. That's only a portion of this great gift. Part of this great gift is to bless others materially. We've been given the grace so that we can reach out to the poor and the needy. Do we? How much of your life is a demonstration of that? Good question, isn't it? Third way to remember to respond to the grace of God is to extend the same grace, mercy, and forgiveness that you've received. Remember the parable of the man who owed a tremendous debt and the judge called him in? And the man begged for mercy. And the judge said, okay, I'll I'll let you off. Don't worry about it. That man, according to the parable of Jesus, goes out and grabs his fellow servant by the scruff of the neck and says, pay me what you owe me or I'll have you thrown in debtor's prison. And Jesus said, he didn't get it. That's not an example of the kingdom of God. Over many years of trying to walk with Christ as faithfully as I can and so often unfaithfully, I think at this stage of my walk with Christ, the thing, the thing that is more impressed upon me every day, more than when I was younger, is the importance of grace and mercy distributed to others because I've already received so much. Maybe it's just a result of age. I'd like to think it's a result of grace. I was some 
much quicker back then to judge and to call people out. And that's got an appropriate place and an appropriate time, but I know my attitude, it frequently was and sometimes is. Well, they're living out the consequences of their own sin. That's just the way it goes. If you sow in sinfulness, you're going to reap sinfulness. Sorry. Should have made better choices. I... I'm ashamed to even say it, but frequently it was my impulse. Does that sound familiar? But the older I grow, the more I'm just amazed by the grace of God. I'm just amazed that I have any forgiveness and mercy that's been sent my way. I, I don't understand why I have any. I don't think I deserve any. And the more the realization dawns on me, the less inclined I am to be judgmental and critical and say, live with the consequences of your own sin in spite of the fact that I know we all do. I move closer and closer, I hope every day, to re-gifting mercy and forgiveness and grace. I think that's just the way we all ought to be. Moving more and more towards that kind of regifting. There's something else that we can do if we wish to be faithful followers of Christ in the kingdom of God. That is that we just basically serve. We serve of course, by extending the good news to everyone. But we serve right here in this place called the church or the body of Christ. Paul put it this way. You've been given multiple gifts, all kinds of gifts. And you know what the purpose of your gift is? He says it in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. There's one purpose for your gift. One purpose for your gift. So that you can bless God and others. It's not for you. It's not for your personal enrichment and your personal entertainment and feeling better about yourself. The gift you've been given is for the purpose of giving it to the body of Christ for building up the kingdom of God. If you've been given the gift of administration, find a way to use it to extend the kingdom of God. If you've been given the gift of teaching, shame on you if you have put your gift in the sand. Use it for the advancement of the kingdom of God. If you've been given the gift of mercy, by all means, be active with that gift on behalf of the body of Christ. If you've been given the gift of encouragement, do it. When, when I say things like that, I look out at you. And it's hard to keep looking at you. Because I see faces. Who have these gifts. And who are exercising these gifts. And I'm overwhelmingly grateful. There's some of you um, 
who have lots of gifts, but some of you have the gift of encouragement. I don't think you have any idea how important that gift is. Use it. Bless others with it. I, I think probably uh, there are a few things that amaze me more um, than those people who are truly servants. I was talking to my wife uh, some time ago, and a name came up because I brought it up. And I told her that. I said, this person, I just, this person just amazes me. If, if I named this person, 90% of you would not know them. If I profiled this person, most of you would say I've never seen them. But you know what this person does? This person, I really think, is really almost unaware of how much they emulate the servant heart of Jesus Christ. Their whole life is like that. They just serve. I don't know what's inside the heart. It's possible that this person I'm thinking of serves begrudgingly, but I'll guarantee you, you wouldn't see the begrudging. It seems so authentic. So behind the scenes. So Christ-like. Every one of us has got a gift that we give to the body of Christ and to our world. What is yours? Are you giving it? Call it your talent, if you will. What God has given you uh, to advance his kingdom. So, here's an exercise. I gave one last week as well. Um, It's real easy. Take a piece of paper. Write down two things. Two columns, maybe. My gifts. What are they? You say, well, I don't know many of them. That's okay. Just write them down. If you're having trouble, ask somebody else. Write down your gifts. Second column. This is the hard one. Where are they being used? For the kingdom of God. Take a look at it. (laughs) Ask yourself, am I serving like Jesus told me to serve? Am I re-gifting the gift that God has given to me? You knew the promo was coming, right? Um, We got lots of needs at ECC, that promo. You heard about two of them just a few minutes ago in in the announcements. Children's ministry needs help. Volunteers with kids. Nursery and underground. The other place you heard, if you were listening, was the welcome networking team back there. They need people who smile, who greet one another, who shake hands, and make people feel welcome. If you're grumpy, don't sign up. But... If you're not, you can serve that way. Start somewhere. I would suggest that probably everybody here can find at least one other way you can serve the body of Christ. And if you uh, list it, 
and move toward it, you'll be blessed. It's that simple because you'll be exercising your gift in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for allowing us to even be part of this. Um, It's so often true that when we serve, we forget about ourselves. Or at least temporarily, our minds move from us to them. And that's a wonderful thing, Lord. It's also true that when we serve, it gives us a higher purpose. And in this case, the higher purpose that we are called to by Jesus is to serve your your kingdom, the kingdom of God in this present world. And there's so many ways to do it, Lord. Just help us to refocus and help us to re-gift the grace that we've been given. And we're sure that as we do that, um, we will be the beneficiaries, not just the people that we serve. More often than not, we get more out of the service than they do. And um, that too is a gift. So we pray, Lord, that you will uh, inspire our hearts and enlighten our minds and conform our will to do your will. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.